My friends, today to you, it's Joel here with the band for King and Country, and you are listening to On Faith's Edge with Joe Taylor. Keep it right here. So many times God is whispering and saying to us, you know what, if you just let go, you're really going to be free. I want to move you on to something that's going to work so much better for you in your life. Thank you, Mr. Joel Smallbone, for the introduction. If you have not seen a For King and Country show, go. Go see these guys perform. Go see them play. One of the best shows anywhere, ever. And that's coming from a guy that has seen a lot of concerts. It's really interesting. My favorite concert shows ever are For King and Country, Garth Brooks, and Iron Maiden. How about that for an eclectic concert experience? I've probably been to 100 concerts in my life, and wow, For King and Country puts on a great show. Welcome to the 111th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. I have been slowly minimizing my life over the past few years. I'm letting go of all the unreasonable attachments I have to stuff and things and junk and piles and junk drawers. And we're going to talk about junk drawers here in this show, of course, just overall decluttering in my life, things I never use, things that have been hanging around for years, things that weigh on me mentally and spiritually and physically, you know, the kinds of things that you just put in bins and move from place to place or from room to room. But I've come to love throwing stuff away. I've really latched on to a, I guess you'd call it a minimalist mindset. Uh, I'm still a work in progress though. Uh, Grant me some grace here, but I tell you, man, when I do it, it's freeing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Honestly, You'll, you'll likely hear me talk a lot about this journey in the next couple months. I, I really I'm looking forward to just freeing my life of stuff, spiritual, mental, and physical stuff. And today's special guest, Monica Schmelter, has an interesting take on this subject. Monica is a media executive. She's an author, a sought-after speaker, and she's the host of the popular TV show Bridges, on the Christian Television Network. In her new book, Messy to Meaningful, Lessons from the Junk Drawer, Monica shows us how to sort through our junk, both physically and spiritually. She helps us recognize what we need, throw out what's unnecessary, and move forward. She shares how powerful biblical truths will help us get to a place of physical, emotional, and spiritual freedom. In addition to the book, Monica and I will talk about the connection between the junk drawer and our own spiritual life, how to free ourselves from the junk and the stuff just holding us down. And she very transparently reveals her own personal quote unquote junk drawer, along with her demeaning and frankly cruel experiences growing up and how she found grace and gave forgiveness. Tell us about Messy to Meaningful, Monica. Well, it actually, before it was a book, it started as a conversation about 
a junk drawer and just how we naturally collect things. And over time, you know, just how they get overstuffed and all of these things that we don't know what to do is we throw in the junk drawer. So, Joe, that's really how it started. And then we started looking at how that parallels sometimes to our lives and our spiritual life and how we just accumulate things and keep holding on maybe past the point of where it's really healthy or good for us. Uh, how do we make that uh, connection between our junk drawer and our spiritual life? Well, I think that one of the things that we talk about is that, you know, almost everybody's got a junk drawer, at least one, maybe lots of people even have two. And we collect things over time that we don't know what to do with. And in everyday life, a lot of us do that as well. You know, sometimes we'll go through a really hard time, maybe a rejection in our lives, and then perhaps another season that's just really pressing and that's hard on us. And we don't know how to handle that, but we stuff it. And then we go on maybe to a more peaceful season and collect a great memory or two. And then something else happens and we stuff that. And over time, it doesn't happen in one day, but sometimes it feels like a suddenly or like, oh, in one day, we are just anything and everything will irritate us or annoy us. And we have kind of that over the top reaction. And many times that that's a result of accumulating of stuffing. And so we see that in the physical with the junk drawer, but it happens spiritually in our hearts and in our everyday life too. You know, I think of a junk drawer and I, and, and I expand the junk drawer to junk drawers, to closets, old, bed, yes. old bedrooms. I mean, we have so much stuff uh, and that we move around old batteries and VCR installation manuals, totes and totes of junk that we haven't looked at in, a, in years and move from, from place to place. And I can certainly mm-hmm. see that analogy. We carry this stuff around spirit physically and spiritually. We carry this stuff around with us and we just don't, because we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what, where to file it. We don't know whether we're going to need it again, spiritually, maybe to protect ourselves or, or to use in a, use in another situation. When you think about going through a junk drawer, you're usually going through a junk drawer because you've lost something and you think it's in the junk drawer. You're frantically looking through it in this, in this, in this panic of, of need. And I can see, I can certainly see the, the spiritual connection there. Can't you? I absolutely can. And when you talk about frantically looking through the junk drawer for something, I mean, how many times is it that we need a part desperately for something? And we know we have it. We just don't know where it is. So we go to the junk drawer and there's that panic and that hope and that, oh, my goodness, I hope that I can find that. And that happens in real life in a time of crisis. It's like, oh, what do I do now? So I definitely see that connection. And I think that we all live it out every single day single day. What do we do with our spiritual junk drawer? Help us through this. Help us through. Uh, we're going to, we're going to stick with this, Monica, help us through opening that drawer and looking at this stuff, uh, the scissors and the bobby pins and the broken pens and the nail clippers and everything in there. We open up our spiritual junk drawer and what do we do with all this? Well, you know, we see all of this stuff. And we wonder, should I let it go? (laughs) Will I need it later? And so one of the things that I think is important for all of us to do is what we would call, you know, sorting through it, kind of looking at whatever that stuff is 
and really asking ourselves, is this something that is bringing life? Is it something that's good for me? Or is it just something that I'm holding on to because I'm afraid to let go? So I think starting with that sort and using really God's word to help us look honestly at whatever that piece of junk is and deciding, okay, I'm either going to process through this or I just need to throw it out. Or gosh, you know, I really need to hold on to this. I think that it starts with that sort and the questions that we ask ourselves. Take us through some of those questions, Monica. What kind of questions do we ask ourselves about these items? Uh, Because we're holding on to a lot for a long time. One of the things that that I talk about in one of the chapters that I uh, wrote is that Sometimes we've held on to it for so long that we don't even know what it would look like, you know, to let it go. We don't even know. So, for example, I talk about one of the things I talk about is, okay, so how can I hold on to the truth of God's word? How can I hold on to what's true and let go of lies and help us walk through that sorting through that stuff that's in the junk drawer. And in this case, we're talking about in the junk drawer of our life, because we all, uh, in different situations, we may know God's word. For example, that he says, you know, that his thoughts toward us are good and that he's got good plans for us. And yet we go through a rejection, a financial reversal, you know, maybe a divorce. Maybe we've heard harsh words about what we look like or how we don't fit in. And I think that we really have to walk through practical ways of how can I let go of this lie of the world that says I'm not enough the way that I am or that I won't ever be able to finish that college education. And so I think that how we do that sort, that practical thing may look different for all of us, but we've got to identify what works for us. I know one of the things that I do whenever I have that thought, that lie from the world or that I've heard from a bad situation is I will mentally hold up for myself that stop sign and just say to myself, this is just not healthy, whether it happened or, you know, I liked it or I didn't. This is not healthy for me to hold on to this thought and to come to that place where I am willing to let that go. And I think part of the the challenge for all of us is that we don't want to do the sort because it seems so hard. It's like the junk drawer. It's like, where do I start cleaning? But to start really looking at what's there and to make that decision, I'm going to hold on to what God's word says is true. And I am just going to let go or stop that lie from festering or from growing in my head any further. You had to have your own spiritual junk drawer, Monica. Mm-hmm. And if you yes. don't mind, can you, can you share with us your own personal journey through the spiritual junk drawer and how you went from messy to meaningful? One of the chapters that I wrote, we use, Joe, the tape measure, <laughs> because we've all got a tape measure in our junk drawer. And how we tend to sometimes compare ourselves to other people. 
And so in my spiritual junk drawer, and I share in the book, Messy to Meaningful, that I was born into a family of thin people. And yet from the time that I was in elementary school, I struggled with being overweight. You know, the doctors were always telling me to lose weight and my parents were concerned about me and wanted me to lose weight. And in this family of really thin people, I want to say that there was just a really unhealthy preoccupation with weight and really correlating weight with value. And so I was teased a lot and I was bullied and in my family, you know, I didn't realize how unusual it was at the time. But by the time that I became a teenager, uh, and every Sunday, we would have uh, a family dinner with extended family. And after the dinner, you know, after we all had dinner and would be laughing and joking, all of the women would go into the living room. And one of my extended family members would bring out a scale the women and the teenage girls, including myself, we would take turns stepping on the scale. And uh, there was this blue spiral notebook. And each week, uh, one of the family members recorded all of our weight in, in this book after dinner. And, uh, you know, the heaviest person in the family, other than me, no one weighed over 110 pounds after dinner. And I weighed you know, a lot more than they did. And so what happened in my spiritual junk drawer was I started carrying a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of insecurity, even though I knew the Lord, um, I carried around that hurt and that rejection, that not fitting in. I carried that around for years, Joe, for years of just feeling like I just didn't uh, fit in and that I just wasn't as good as they were. And I had fears about that. You know, I would never get married and nobody would ever love me. And so I wasn't even aware that I carried that around in my junk drawer until probably that I was in my 40s. And when I had to, you know, because from the outside at that point, my life looked like, like I had a good life. I was a women's speaker. I hosted a Christian TV show. I led Bible studies. But in my heart, I struggled with secret shame, with insecurity. And I really had to, in my 40s, face that and deal with that and really come to a place that I believed what God said was more true and more valuable to me than any other messages that I had heard in my life. Monica, with all due respect to your family, what were they trying to accomplish with this weight thing? with this weighing each other, with, with subjecting themselves and you uh, to this criticism. I don't even know what to call it. Ugliness. I don't know what to say here, Monica. Just, I'm so, I'm so put off by it, to be honest with you. I understand. You know, the best way that I would know to tell you, Joe, or, or how I have reasoned it out, that for some reason, they felt like scolding and shaming was the way to get me to improve. And the value system was entirely wrong anyway. Uh, you know, the value system of valuing somebody that's, that's thin and making that a priority, obviously, 
with all due respect to them and as much as I love them and I and I love all of them, the value was really wrong and where they put their priorities completely wrong. I do think that for whatever reason, they felt like scolding and shaming would be helpful to me. It was not helpful, obviously. It's totally the wrong way to accomplish anything that's good. Um, but, you know, I really, Joe, didn't even realize how negative and how abusive that that was until I was an adult. I totally received that as that I was really a bad person and needed improvement. I was unable to see that really they were the ones with the problem. I mean, I might have been overweight, but they were the ones with the real problem. And I, I was unable to see that. And so I share that story with people because I think that maybe that exact situation does not happen all the time, but it does happen where people are born into families that don't recognize their value or appreciate them for who they are. And I want people to know that you you can recover with God's help from that. This perspective and this level of forgiveness can only come from God. And the, 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 the idea that you realize that they meant really no malice by this, that they genuinely thought that they were helping you uh, by, by setting up this shameful ritual that, that they genuinely thought that they were doing good is a perspective that can only come from God. Absolutely. And it has come from God. And he has helped me, Joe, every step of the way to not just forgive and, you know, sort of like be okay with it, but to really love them, to really understand and appreciate, to be able to say like Joseph did in the Old Testament, you know, you meant it for harm, you know, but God meant it for good. And when I say that they meant it for harm, I, I don't think that they meant malice. I think they were trying to bring about good, but it was harming me. You know, it was hurting me. It was crushing to me. But to be able to come to that perspective of, you know, they went about it in the wrong way. But what God brought out of from all of that messy was to help me to understand that he's bigger than all of that and that I can forgive and that I can have compassion and that I can have understanding even for people who have done what I would consider to be cruel things. And uh, today, you know, for all of those people, because some of them are still alive, I love them and I'm able to enjoy good times and good conversation with them. Um, I don't bring up the, you know, the weighing in and all of that. And they don't bring that up to me either anymore. But we have a good family relationship. And I think that part of what God does in our lives, if we'll let him, is he'll show us how to love people in any and all situations. And um, that's what it's all about, is being able to love people. As part of cleaning out our junk drawer, our spiritual junk drawer, Monica, um, did you... Or do you think it's important to go back to those situations and go back to those people and and address those issues and address those you know, those situations? You know, I think that that's a good, good question, Joe. And, you know, um, I did address the situation by saying, you know, 
I have expressed that I thought that the extreme attention to weighing in and the number on the scale is not healthy and is not was not good and that it was not helpful. Um, I, I didn't feel like I could go into like a long explanation with them, but I do think that those are things that we should think about and pray about what good could come from this. And so for me, being able to say, you know, guys, <laughs> uh, the value on the number on the scale and the weight is not helpful <laughs> um, and the priorities were wrong. I, you know, I don't hold it against you, but I just needed to be able to express for me, Joe, I just needed to be able to express in a healthy way. I don't appreciate what you did, but I'm okay with it at this point. I'm at this place of healing. I wasn't looking for an apology because uh, I didn't think anybody would even get that, if that makes sense. And I, so I think it's not healthy for us to ask people for apologies if they're not at that place in their life. But for me, I needed to express, you know, that stuff really hurt me. And I just wanted you to know that for future reference, but I'm okay. And I needed for them to know that I'm okay. You have a seven-day Messy to Meaningful Challenge. Walk us through what participants can expect in that Messy to Meaningful seven-day challenge and a few practical steps that can that can take us all from Messy to Meaningful. Absolutely. Well, it is, it's a seven-day challenge, and it's a really fun and a lighthearted thing. And uh, each day, whoever signs up for the challenge will get an email, and that email will give one very practical step for each person to do. And for example, one of the steps in the challenge is to hold on to the good. And that is a step where a person actually looks at their life as we're sorting through all of this junk and we ask them to identify five good things in their life to write those five good things down and then make that determination to hold on to the good. Because, you know, Joe, life comes at us so fast, so furiously that sometimes we can get so overwhelmed with the junk that we don't realize the really, really good things that God has placed there. So a part of that challenge is to help us sort through. And as we sort through to really focus on the good, good things that God has put and that has placed in our lives, whether that's relationships, you know, other kind of blessings, just anything, just hold on to those goods. And another thing that's in uh, the seven day challenge is what we call skip. And so skip is just about taking some time to enjoy our lives, um, to celebrate. It's like skip, you know, like actually going out and skipping. And so taking that time to enjoy, because I think that, or to do something that's really fun or something that means a lot to ourselves on any given day, because again, life can be as wonderful as it is. It can really be overwhelming. It can be challenging for us, especially if we're in a really hard season. We need to intentionally take that time to skip or to enjoy our lives. Monica, at the end of the seventh day challenge, uh, a week from today, let's say we start it today, where would you hope that we find ourselves? 
actually, even though I wrote the seven day challenge, I did and participated the seven day challenge. So I would say reasonably that a person could expect after the seven days to have a real perspective shift, to have that place of, you know, okay, so I've got all of this or that going on in my life, but I see it now through a different lens, through a lens of faith that acknowledges that, uh, you know, life can be painful, it can be fun, all of these things have, have happened, but a person could reasonably expect to have a perspective change where they would spiritually feel lighter and spiritually feel more free because they've made that intentional decision to go through the junk drawer. I would say, Joe, it's just like when we go through the closet and we clean it out. It just, when you look at the closet after that, (laughs) you know, after you've gone through the things that you haven't worn in 10 years or that don't fit, it haven't fit in, you know, 10 pounds, things look better. It's that whole thing of less is more. And there's just that feeling of accomplishment and that feeling of I just did something. So I would say reasonably after the seven day challenge, a person's going to feel like, you know what? I was just really good to myself and I have a better, a brighter and a more free perspective. I love to throw stuff away. Uh, but I have my own, I have my own junk drawers. I have my own junk closets. Uh, we as a family have our own, uh, you know, it seems like, uh, every, every spare nook and cranny has something, has something put in it. And it's this fear of the, the, and this is the, in the physical world, it's this fear of, we might need that again. It's that fear of, uh, well, what if, what would happen if I don't have that? Why do we hold on to these things? Why do we have such a hard time letting go and make that connection uh, both physically and spiritually? Well, I think, Joe, that part of that holding on is, you know, this is all I know. This Mm. is what's familiar. I live in this world, you know, and there are limited resources. And if I let this go, what will happen? And we know like how, just how, how ironic that is because sometimes We don't even like what we're holding on to. It's just that it's all we know. And um, for example, I I wrote in the book about uh, one of the things that we find in the junk drawer are sometimes like instruction manuals to appliances that we don't have or that we sold in a garage sale, but we're holding on and we we don't know why. And I think it's what's uh, that fear that we just live in this world of limited resources. And if I let that go, what will happen? And that happens in life that sometimes even relationships that aren't healthy for us, we it's like having that is better than letting go and having nothing. Even if we're holding on to an idea or a concept that, you know, it isn't working for us. But to say that it's not working and to let go of a business that is dwindling or that is failing and allowing God to give us a fresh start or a clean state slate, I think at the core, Joe, that it's mostly fear. It's, it's a fear based of this may not even be great, but it's what I know. So I'm going to hold on to it with everything I've got 
when in fact so many times God is whispering and saying to us, you know, if you just let go, you're really going to be free. If you'll just let go, I want to move you on to something that's going to work so much better for you in your life. And usually when I go ahead and I clean out the closet or the junk drawer, I do feel better when it's over, but there is a little bit of pain in that process as well. Once we get over that pain, and I know what you're talking about, uh, but once we get over that pain and that fear, we feel lighter, more focused, uh, activated, the ability to move forward instead of stuck. Uh, Cleaning out the junk drawer is is a wonderful, wonderful exercise. When did you realize that you were really onto something and with this whole junk drawer analogy and this whole messy to meaningful uh, way of living? Well, you know, I think the first time that I just realized that it just resonated and that everybody got it was I was planning some TV shows and I thought about the junk drawer. So I asked some really brave women that I know to send me pictures of their junk drawers. And one of the women that is just so, you know, she's just like the most forward in fashion and she has the best appliances and is into the organic way of eating. And I look at her junk drawer, Joe, and she's got this instruction manual for like an Amana side-by-side refrigerator in that green color that was so popular in the 70s. And I said to her, why are you holding on to that? And she said, you know, I don't know. I just, I just hate to throw it away. And I just thought, okay, we all go through this as human beings. It doesn't matter men or women, if it's tools, if it's a junk drawer in the kitchen, if it's a junk room, if it's a closet, we know that there's something about us that wants to hold on to stuff and there's fear and there's pain involved to let go. And so I thought, okay, so if we can Put this book together of lessons from the junk drawer of things that are relatable to the majority of people and help walk people through that sort and to just be so honest to say, hey, we're all going through this. It happens to all of us in various different ways, but this is going to feel so good once we go through that sort that whatever pain we go through it's going to be worth it because we're going to feel so much fear when we're on the other side. When I was, Uh when I was preparing for our conversation, I decided to look through one of my, one of my junk drawers and (laughs) and I found at the bottom crinkled up in the bottom of one of my junk drawers, a synopsis of a book called getting things done by David (laughs) Allen. And, and it's all about processing and organizing and, and getting a handle on all of your stuff and the things you have to do. How ironic is that crammed in the bottom of my junk drawer is the instruction manual for how to clean out my junk. (laughs) You know, because you knew you needed it. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. What are some of the real success stories that you've heard from uh, from this book, uh, Messing the Meaningful? Well, you know, I think probably the biggest one uh, was one, Joe, that I just heard today. And I had posted something um, on Facebook about how, you know, uh, God stands ready to help us through the messy of life. 
and someone posted and said, you know, Monica, I, I love that you have such deep faith. I'm just not really sure that God intervenes in a person's daily life. And I messaged the person back and it opened up a conversation, Joe, where the person was able to say to me, she said, well, I, I want this really deep faith where I never have any doubts. And um, she was just letting me know that's kind of what she was imagining. She was kind of describing this perfect uh, kind of faith life. And I said to her via Facebook messaging, you know, it's really not like that for any of us. You might look at me and think that that's how it is every day, but we all have faith and doubts. Even, you know, in the book of Luke, the man that says, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And that was a new concept to her. She had not ever read that in the Bible. She did not realize that when we are talking about, you know, God is able to help us with the messy and he's not afraid of that. It's he knows that we are all that combination of Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. We may be at different phases and different levels of faith in our life. But even for most believers, we have moments of despair we have moments of doubt, and that's okay. That doesn't disqualify us. And that exchange with her was so powerful for me, Joe, because that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book was to reach out to real life, everyday people who have junk drawers, who know that we need to sort through them. We're holding on to things that we need to let go of. And yet in the midst of all of that, in this broken, fallen world, that we still see Christ and that we want we want him in our lives and want to be more Christ-like. That's the point of the whole book is to meet people where all of us really live and to talk about junk and faith and how even despite and through all of the messy that we really can find the meaningful life that God intended for us. The book is Messy to meaningful. Monica, can we talk a little bit about your own personal faith? Yes, of course. How did you, how did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? Well, I came to Christ, Joe, when I was 13 years old. And uh, while that sounds like a really young age, and it is, um, I had already uh, run away from home for a couple of times when I was 13. And I was skipping a lot of school. And I was experimenting with drugs. So I was clearly not on a good path. I mean, I was pretty much the kid that nobody's parents would want their children to hang out with. And uh, a girl that I know kept reaching out to me and inviting me um, to go to her church and letting me know that she cared about me, was praying for me. And pretty much I didn't want anything to do with Christianity. I looked at... Christians really as people who were very fashion challenged and I didn't want any part of that. And I thought of all the things that, that I I felt like Christianity would say that I couldn't do. And at that time I, I just was very rebellious and I, and I was not interested. And so oddly enough, one of my mother's friends 
uh, asked us to come to church with her. She said that they were having a healing service at her church. And I didn't even know what a healing service was. Um, but I have a brother that's 11 years younger than me, and he was born with Down syndrome. And he had a heart murmur and some other health-related problems. And he was uh, sick a lot as an infant uh, up until about two years old. So when this neighbor invited us to the healing service, even though my family didn't attend church, we were all very much interested in any way, shape, or form that my brother could get better. And so my dad at that time, Joe, he said that he was an atheist, but he he was willing to come to this healing service. Um, and I have my grandfather who uh, is passed away now. He was Muslim and he was remarried. He was in a second marriage and they had four teenage children. And even despite the fact that they were Muslim, they all wanted to come to the healing service. So my whole family went to church to this healing service, and I thought it was just the longest, most boring service ever. And as I was sitting there, I did remember a few times the young lady that had been inviting me to church and all these different things. And, and even though I was annoyed by the service, there was something that just kept tugging at my heart. And they did the, the healing line. They prayed for my brother. And I was really hoping to just get out of there and be done with this experience. And then the pastor said, you know, I, I really feel like I need to stop the service. And the Lord has shown me 10 people that are in the service that have not given their hearts to Christ. And if they don't make that decision, um, they're not they're going they're going to go to hell. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I counted all the people that I was with. And there were 10 of us. And I know. And I started thinking about this young lady who kept reaching out to me. And her name is Leslie, who kept saying that she was praying for me and she was concerned for me. And all of a sudden, Joe, it's just a Holy Spirit moment. All of a sudden, all of this angst, this rebellion, this anger, all of these things that I felt, my heart started melting. I started crying. And I said to my mother, I I said, I think that I need to go up there uh, to the altar and be prayed for. And she was annoyed with me because I kept bugging her through the whole service of how much I wanted to get out of the service. And, And I said, can I go up there, mom? And she said, yes. And, you know, Joe, I walked that aisle at 13 years old and I asked for prayer and I gave my heart to Christ And, um, you know, obviously I'm not a perfect person, but um, I have never looked back on that decision. I have never regretted it. At that time, my parents did not continue coming to church with me, but they did drive me every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday. And over what would be about a 25 year period, uh, everybody in my family, including my Muslim grandfather before he died, um, gave their hearts to Christ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Are, are you still connected with that girl who kept inviting you to church? Yes, Joe, I am. And in fact, I write about her in the book in messy to meaningful, uh, because she was not afraid of my messy. And, um, I connected with her some years ago, 
on Facebook, I reached out to her and I apologized because while she was very kind to me as a teenager and prayed for me, um, I was not kind back to her at the time. I laughed at her and joked uh, because of her faith. And, and I, as an adult, I realized what I had done and I wanted to make that right. So I connected with her and I wrote a chapter in the book about her. And that chapter is about matches and about the fire that can be lit in our hearts when someone is not afraid of our messy. And so, uh, yes, I am still friends with Leslie today. And she realizes the impact that she has had on generations in your family. She does. When I, when I reconnected with her, she had, she had always remained faithful to the Lord, but it she said in her, it reignited that desire to be bold because Joe, Leslie, Leslie is one bold girl. Uh, you know, when I was in this rebellious stage, I was a popular girl in school. I used that popularity against her in some ways. And this was a girl that wasn't afraid of any of that. She, she is just an amazing person and in generations on my family. And when you think about me being called into ministry and being a women speaker, what Leslie had, I, I, I cannot say thank you enough to the Lord for Leslie and for Leslie, because she is one amazing woman and friend. So you gave your life to Christ at 13 years old. Uh, we're yes. actually at a, at a relatively young age. Um, mm-hmm. so you, you went through your teenage years as a believer in Jesus Christ, right? That's from, right. From 13 on through high school and beyond high school. Did you have a, an adult moment where you realized, you know what, this is my life. This, I'm drawing the line in the sand. I'm planting my flag. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live the rest of my life in this way. You know, I would say I've had that moment uh, at several different times in different seasons of my life. And, and I never looked back on that decision to accept Christ as Savior, but there have definitely been moments of stronger faith and moments of, you know, of doubt or, or, or oh, should I say perhaps being more likely to compromise. But I think that a real test in a season of hardship in my life, Joe, was when I was 25 years old and um, I was married at that time and I was pregnant and the doctors uh, just gave me a report that they thought that something might be wrong uh, with our baby and things did not look good. And there was this moment in my life of whether things were going to be okay with that pregnancy or not, that I was once again, just committing my heart and life and my entire path to Christ, no matter what came my way, that I was just, I was going to be faithful And it didn't matter how it ended up, although I wanted good things. Obviously, I wanted a healthy baby. And so uh, and the good news is I had a very healthy baby and it was wonderful. But that challenging, trying season of faith, because the doctors were saying, you know, we think that you should have an abortion. And so there was pressure in this regard. Um, But that faith 
came up in my heart. And I once again saw God's love in a fresh and in a real way. And so that would be a time that I I would definitely say I put that flag down and I just said, no matter what comes my way, I will never look back on this decision that I've made for Christ, whether he works this out the way that I would like it or he does not. I'm going to remain faithful. Leslie's seed that she uh, uh, she planted has led to this book, of course, but it's also led to a uh, a show that you host called Bridges. Yes, and that show Bridges is a daily television show, and it's on the Christian Television Network. And so, that being able to do that program has. Uh, taught me so much about life and has taught me so much about faith because, Joe, I get to meet all different kinds of people, Uh, you know, people that are authors, people that are speakers, people that have extraordinary stories. And I get to sit down and talk with them about their challenges and about their faith. And um, I think more than anything, I enjoy the stories of what people would consider to be everyday people and how their faith is expressed and how it grows. Uh, For example, just a couple of weeks ago, I talked with a young mom that's in her 20s. Both of her children are under seven years old and both are cancer survivors, both of her children. And to listen to that mom share her, her faith her tears, her doubt, and how all of that and how God works in and through all of those things um, is amazing to be able to let people tell what I call their faith stories. And we can find that on the Christian television network, correct? Yes, that's right. You know, you are through this book and through your television show and through the, all the other work that you've, that you've done, Monica, uh, you are living a dynamic, actionable life in Christ. What drives you? You know, I know that what drives me is Christ's relentless love for us, that he loves us all so much and his heart to see all people come to him. For example, Joe, I think of what a bratty teenager that I was, the way that I behaved, and that he saw fit to love me anyway, that he worked in my life. I mean, if there was ever an unlikely, you know, I would have to be amongst those coming from a family where my dad did not lay claim to any faith. He said he did not believe in God to have a Muslim grandfather. Uh, My parents are are married to each other now, but there was a 10-year period that they were divorced. I grew up in the inner city of Detroit during the height of the racial tension in the 60s. I just look at that life and how much that Jesus Christ loved me, how he went out of his way. And what drives me is to share that message with people that regardless of where you've been, of what you've done, what people think about any of that, that he loves us anyway, and that he's got a good 
plan for our lives, no matter how messy our life may seem, no matter how messy our life is, that he has that good plan and that he wants to restore and that he wants to redeem. That drives me on my worst days. That drives me of like, Monica, we have got to share the love of Christ, no matter what my circumstances look like. I've got to share this with people because it makes all the difference. When you step back and think about this, you right now are a Leslie to thousands and thousands of people. You know, I am. And it's very humbling to even hear you say that. Um, And again, I point to the goodness of God that he allowed me, that he saved me and worked in my life and drew me to him because he is, he is Joe, the best thing that ever happened in my life. And he has been faithful and good and constant. And that is really what I have to share with others is the goodness and the mercy of our God and how he reaches into the very dark and the very messy places in all of our lives, if we will let him, he continues to stand at that door and knock. And at any point in time, we can say, yes, Jesus, I believe, and I'm willing to lay it all down because I believe that what you have for me is better than what I can do for me. As we wrap up, Monica, what would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge? making that choice to believe or not to believe in God? You know, this is what I would say. It is totally and completely your choice. But really look at your life and listen to your heart. Because I believe in our core, no matter how much we might fight it or think that we don't, we all have that measure of faith. And I would say, Open up your heart to God, no matter how hard that your heart may feel or how many doubts that you may have. I would say, dare to believe God's word. You've got nothing to lose and you've got everything to gain. You may say to yourself, what if it's not true? But I would say to you, what if it is true? What if every single thing that you've heard in the Bible, what if it's true? It's true. So believe it and live it because it's worth it. Whatever you feel like you might need to give up or change, he's going to give you more back than any changes that you'll ever have to make. So if you're on faith's edge, Just go with it. Go with faith and go with God because you will never, ever, 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 ever be sorry. I don't think we can say anything more than that. The book is Messy to Meaningful. The TV show is Bridges. Monica Schmelter, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking with you, Joe. God bless you. Messy to Meaningful Lessons from the Junk Drawer is available on Amazon.com. Monica's website is monicaschmelter.com. These links and her other links can be found in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 111. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 111. 
I love bringing you these engaging conversations about faith. If this show entertains you, encourages you, informs you, or brings value to your life in any way whatsoever, will you consider backing the show? The best way to do that right now is to use any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com. Now, we're going to get a modest commission from the purchase, but it doesn't cost you a penny more. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you to Monica Schmelter for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real, He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. 